Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and I do appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on vacation last week, and I did listen to Pastor Andrew's sermon online, and he did an awesome job, so let's give Pastor Andrew a hand. Um, He did a great job of ministering the Word of God and and brought the truth in a very powerful way, and so I appreciate his faithfulness to the Word of God. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but some of you may have grown up in Texas. Some of you may have grown up in Missouri, the South. When I was a little kid growing up in Missouri and Texas before we moved to Colorado, we were warned not to go play in the woods because you might get bitten by chiggers. Anybody ever heard of a chigger? A chigger, okay, some of you. A chigger is a little annoying parasite type bug that bites you and burrows into your skin and causes welts and makes you itch a lot. And all you can think about when you got a chigger bite is, I'm just itching and I want this to get, to get out of me. And so they've basically taken up residence in your body and made life uncomfortable for you. Now, chiggers are harmless. They don't carry any type of diseases. They're just a nuisance. They make you itch. They, they cause welts. But I want you to think about a tick for a moment. Now, if a tick gets under your skin and makes a home there, ticks can carry some pretty dangerous diseases like Lyme disease. So whether it's a a tick or a chigger, God has created these interesting little animals, sometimes annoying, that get into your skin. They dig into your body. They take up residence within you, and they make life difficult. And all you can do is obsess about getting them out of you. Now, with that image in your mind, I want you to think about the Bible. What? The Bible is not a chigger. The Bible is not a tick, but I want you to think about the same image. Has the Bible, God's Word, so gotten into your skin, so, so into your life, not in a negative way like a tick does, but in a positive way that the, the Word of God has gotten so deep in you that it affects everything you do. It's all you think about. It just comes out of you. You're obsessed. You're consumed. You're overwhelmed with the Word of God. Of God because it's taken root deep within you. It's a question I want you to think about. Now, Galatians chapter 5, we've been in this passage for many weeks now. And there's a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and Pastor Andrew did a great job talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we know there's this struggle, right? The struggle that every single one of us is going to face, this internal battle. But I want to draw your attention to some words that Paul has used along the way to describe our relationship to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so look at verse 18. I'm sorry, look at verse 16. Verse 16, chapter 5. I say walk by the Spirit. Okay, walk by the Spirit. This is an action that we're continuously to be walking, a lifestyle of, of being connected to the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 18. If you are Led by the Spirit. Okay, you got walk by the Spirit. You've got being led by the Spirit. Okay, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, 
Well, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, so four different terms there Paul uses. We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to live in the Spirit. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. And if you're like me and you read these passages, it sounds a little vague. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by? Does this mean that like all of a sudden you're walking along and the Holy Spirit kind of mystically just pushes you to where you're supposed to go? Is it some type of, of weird mystical experience where you just kind of, you know, lick your finger and put your hand up and, and figure out where you're supposed to go based upon the Spirit blowing? What does it really mean to be led by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to live in the Spirit? It's kind of confusing. Now, turn one book over to Ephesians chapter 5 for just a moment because there's another phrase that Paul uses to describe our relationship to the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. So Galatians, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Listen to how Paul describes this in relationship to the Holy Spirit. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continually, constantly filled or, or under the control or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So you've got all these words that, that come circling into your head about our relationship to the Holy Spirit. What does it really mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it really mean? It seems kind of vague to me at some times. There's not a lot of meat on the bones that tells us what does that look like. Well, go skip over Philippians real quick and go to the book of Colossians. And I want to give you a parallel passage to the Ephesians passage that I think brings it all into focus for us. So Colossians chapter 3. So just skip over. I know I'm making you turn a lot this morning, but skip over Philippians. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16 and 17, I want you to hear the similarities between this Colossians passage and the Ephesians passage and how they're similar, but how they're different. Okay, Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, do you see the parallel? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, thankfulness. Okay, in Ephesians it said, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So which is it? Is it being filled with the Spirit, or is it let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? And the answer is yes. It's both. Word and Spirit. So the way that the Holy Spirit leads you is through the Word dwelling in you richly. Now, this morning's message comes from a little bit of personal Bible study I was doing um, last week when we were in the mountains. Uh, I was you know, spending time in vacation doing a Bible study and just my personal devotional time in um, Isaiah 11. There's a passage about Jesus. He's the root of Jesse. And there's this statement in verse 3, a prophecy about Jesus that it says his delight, Jesus' delight, will be in the fear of the Lord. And I thought, that's an interesting phrase, that Jesus delighted in the Lord. And so I thought, that's a, that's a, that's a word we don't use a lot, delight. 
So I got my little Bible, you know, Logos Bible program out and started, you know, typing in the word delight, and it took me to Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, it shows up about nine or ten times, this word delight. And so as I began to study that and just read, read Psalm 119, I'm like, this works really well with what I think Paul's trying to say in Galatians. So what we're going to do this morning is actually we're going to hang out in Psalm 119. So, so turn there. Psalm 119. And don't worry, because there's 176 verses. We're not going to look at all of Psalm 119, just the first 16 verses. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It is an acrostic poem. So it's got the Hebrew alphabet. So you'll see the Hebrew alphabet words above each section. So as you look there, Aleph, and then Bet, and Gimel, and Dalit, and, and it goes on and on. Charles Spurgeon, in his The Treasury of David, I don't know if you've ever read his Treasury of David, it's his, it's his commentary on the Psalms. Spurgeon devotes 350 pages to this one psalm. Every single verse in Psalm 119, addresses God's word in some way. And there are probably about eight synonyms or eight words that are similar that the psalmist uses to describe God's word. And we're going to look at those this morning as he uses those. And, and they all basically mean about the same thing. There's a different shades of nuances of meanings. Uh, but they all are basically talking about God's word. And so Psalm 119 begins the way the entire book of Psalms begins, with a blessing. So how does Psalm 1 begin? Psalm 1, 1 and 2 sets the stage for all the Psalms. Blessed is the man, <clears throat> excuse me, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law. He meditates day and night. Blessed is the man who delights and meditates on God's word. So let's read Psalm 119, verses 1 through 16, and let's see how this unfolds for us and how, what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. Aleph, <clears throat> that's A in the Hebrew alphabet. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Bet. Okay, you see the, the bet? It's a, it's a crossic poem. It's the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. 
I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. If you look at Psalm 119, here's the overall teaching of the entire psalm. You are most satisfied in Christ when his word is taken up root in your heart. When when his word has a home in your heart, you're most satisfied in Jesus. So what does it practically mean this morning? What's the practical application? What does it look like, meat on the bones, to walk in the Spirit, to be led in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to have the fruit of the Spirit? What does it look like? Here's the answer. The way to walk in step with the Spirit is to delight yourself in God's Word through obedience. To delight yourself in God's Word through obedience. In Galatians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 5, and in Colossians chapter 3, all of those passages talked about a lifestyle. Be led, live, walk, keep in step, be filled, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. It was a lifestyle of how the Word, how the Holy Spirit, the two together are to impact the totality of your life. And you see that here in Psalm 119. So what I want us to do is to explore six aspects. There are six aspects in these 16 verses of what it means to delight yourself in God's Word. Synonym. Delight yourself in God's Word is the same way of being led in the Spirit. Being led in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, delight in God's Word. Okay? So here's the first. First, a lifestyle of obedience to God's Word is the path to true blessing. How does this entire psalm start? Verses 1 through 3, bless it. Starts out with a blessing, a beatitude. You are truly blessed. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? It's not material blessing. It's not getting rich and healthy and wealthy. It's that deep sense of satisfaction. It's that deep sense of peace. It's that deep sense of spiritual security and joy you have when you know you are walking in the ways of the Lord. It's that deep satisfaction. When your daily conduct, your lifestyle is in line with God's word. Blessed are those whose way, lifestyle, your way, is blameless, who walk, who walk in the law of the Lord. All throughout the Bible, go do a study of the word walk in the Old Testament and New Testament. Walk always talks about the totality of your life, your lifestyle. The way you live your life, your habits, your conduct, your practices, your thought process, the totality of your life. Now, we're going to look at these different words that the psalmist uses for God's word. The first one here is, blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. That's just the basic word, probably the most prevalent law, Torah, the law of the Lord. It's an all-encompassing word that just means the totality of God's word. The totality of God's word. Are you living? Are you walking in the totality of God's law? James says it this way in James 1.25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now look at verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. 
Now, testimonies is a different word. It's not law. It's testimonies. No, testimonies are those amazing things that God has done throughout history that are specifically recorded for us in the scriptures. You know, heaven and earth give testimony to the power of the Lord. It's, it's the, the powerful testimonies of the Lord. Now, I want to teach you something about the Psalms. Hebrew poetry. This is something you need to know. It will help you read the Psalms very helpfully. In Hebrew poetry, there is something called parallelism, which means at least two lines, possibly three, but at least two lines in every psalm are parallel in the sense that they teach basically the same thing, but they say it in a different way to enhance its meaning. So when you look at line one and you look at line two, you line up where the similarities are, and they're basically saying the same thing, but they're using a different terminology. So so look at verse one. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Okay, walk corresponds in verse two to seek with their whole heart. Okay, so when you walk, you're also seeking the Lord. And so Oftentimes, you see those parallels between two lines. And so what the psalmist is saying here is that it, when you, if you truly want to be blessed, the path to true blessing is a daily, passionate pursuit of walking in God's ways, God's truth, God's word. So if you really want to have that deep, lasting satisfaction, if you want to have spiritual peace, if you want to have a deep Solid joy in Jesus. The path to that is a daily, ongoing pursuit, path, walking in his truth, wholeheartedly seeking the Lord. Are you doing that? Are you walking in the ways of his word? Are you seeking him with your whole heart? That's number one. Let's look at number two. Secondly, a lifestyle of obedience to God's word involves a constant struggle. Now, haven't we seen this in Galatians? The flesh is against the spirit. There's this struggle. I want to show it to you because look at verse 4. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. That sounds pretty strong, doesn't it? You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. And there's another word there, precepts. Another word for God's word. They're to be kept diligently. Now notice the psalmist does not say you're to keep his word perfectly. Anybody here perfectly keep God's word? No, they're to be kept diligently. Here's what happens. If you're truly a Christian, you want to obey God. Do you not? And you want to do it consistently. You want to do it faithfully. But what happens? You and I fail. We don't keep God's word diligently, but we have that desire, right? You you may not always obey God, but as a Christian, you have that desire to do it. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 6 in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You have a hunger, you have a thirst for it, you want to do it, but you find yourself not always doing it. Because you know, Galatians 5, 17 there's that constant battle that the, the indwelling flesh within you is fighting against the Holy Spirit to keep you from doing the things you don't want to do. It's this battle. Look at the standard. The standard is we've got to keep God's word diligently. Look at verse 5. 
Verse 5 is the conflict. What does he say in verse 5? Oh, that my ways be steadfast in keeping your statutes. What's he saying? Ooh, I know I'm not going to diligently keep your word, God, but I want to. I want my ways to be steadfast. I want to be consistent. I want to be obedient. I desire that consistency. Now, the word there that he uses is statutes. Statutes is another word for God's word. Statutes is a very important word. Statutes means these are the inviolable words of God that have been written down and they're permanent. It's like the permanent written word of God is statutes. So it's another synonym. So there's a struggle. What's the struggle of the Christian? I really want to keep God's word, but I don't always do it. But oh, that I, would, I have that desire. I want to be consistent. I want to be persistent. I want to be faithful, but I know sometimes I fail, and there's that constant struggle. So what does he do in verse 6? Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Commandments is another synonym. Commandments really means God's unquestioned authority over our lives. God said it. It doesn't matter if you believe it. He said it. We do it. It's the unquestioned word of God. Now, I've talked about this numerous times as we've looked at Galatians chapter 5, and I want to talk about it again. The normal Christian life is a life of struggle. There's never this instant pill that you swallow, microwave magic uh, sanctification, where you just suddenly arrive and you no longer struggle. I want to set you at ease this morning. If you struggle in your Christian walk, that is normal. It's, it's normal. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to stay there. It doesn't mean that, you're not, that, that we're excusing sin. But the Bible is very realistic that you oftentimes have the desire to obey, and you don't, and you fail. And so you're always dealing with this struggle. And, and the psalmist is like, I really want to be consistent. I really want to be faithful. I really want to keep it diligently. So, Lord, help me to do that. I, I fix my eyes. On your commandments. I'm I'm not going to look in here. If I look inside of myself for the help, I'm not going to find it. I need to look outside of myself to Jesus always to give me the help. And that's why he says there in verse 6, I will fix my eyes. I'm going to fix my eyes. Not on me. Not on my ability to keep it. I'm going to fix my eyes on the commandments. Now, what does the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12? Very similar wording. Hebrews 12 too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Are you fixing your eyes outside of yourself to Jesus and his word? And are you realistic about this struggle? Yeah, God wants you to keep his word diligently, and it's a struggle. Don't look inside for help. Look outside to Jesus and cry out, Jesus, I get my eyes on you. I fix my eyes on you. I need your help, Jesus. I know there's a struggle. I know this is a normal part of the Christian life. I need you day by day. Jesus, help me. That's normal Christianity. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise because it's, if it's not normal, then there's something abnormal about your pastor. And hopefully that's not true, that I'm not abnormal. It's the normal Christian life to struggle with sin. Here's third. Here's the third. 
A lifestyle of obedience to God's word involves constant learning. Now we see this in verses 7 and 8. It involves constant learning. Look at verses 7 and 8. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. When I learn your rules. It's amazing, and you guys can attest to this. You sit there and you study the Bible and you come across something and you're like, I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. That's an amazing discovery. Now, has that always been there in the Bible? Yes. But either you haven't read it closely or you just kind of skimmed through or God gave you a new insight, but you're always learning, aren't you? I pray that you're always learning the Bible, that you're not gotten stagnant, that you're always learning. Verse 7 says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Rules is another word for God's word. Rules there... It's different from commandments and testimonies and precepts. Rules there really deals in the original language more with how God has prescribed us to relate to one another, how we have interpersonal relationships, how we treat one another. So we are to keep learning the Word of God. Now, why do you learn the Word of God? Do you learn the Word of God so that the next time there's a church fellowship and trivial pursuits played, you can impress your friends with winning Bible trivia? Do you learn the Bible so when somebody says, please tell me the meaning of propitiation, justification, sanctification, and glorification, all in Romans 8 and the golden chain of redemption, you're able to answer them with a very well thought out doctrinal statement. Why do you learn the Bible? Listen to what the psalmist does with what he learns. He promises two things. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Then number 8, I will keep your statutes. What's the two things he says? When I learn your your word, God, there's two things I'm going to do. I'm going to worship and I'm going to obey. I'm going to praise and I'm going to follow you. So here's what constant learning of the Bible. It's not just to fill your head with knowledge. The reason you always learn the Bible should always lead to two things, worship and obedience. That's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Lifestyle of worship. The reason you learn the Bible, the reason that you grow in the Bible, so that you can live that lifestyle of worship, you can walk in his ways, and also so that you can obey, as James says in James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. One of the biggest dangers of the Christian life is to hear sermon after sermon, Bible study after Bible study, radio program, podcast, and not ever obey. It just sticks in your head, and you never do anything with it. It never comes out in worship or in obedience. Okay, that's verses 1 through 8. Now, what's between verses 8 and 9 in your Bible? What's the Hebrew letter? Bet! Now you think, okay, it's the second letter. What's bet? It's B. What's the point? I think it's very strategic why bet is there and what follows in verses 9 through 16. Let me tell you what the the letter bet or the word bet means in Hebrew. It means home or house. You know this. Bethlehem, house of bread. Bet, house, lechem, bread. Bethel. House of God. So it's no, it's no coincidence that the psalmist puts the acrostic bet and then the verses that are going to follow 
I believe, talk about how the word of God is to make its home in our hearts. Bet means home. This is all about God's word. Is it making a home? Is it dwelling? Because what did, what did Paul say in Colossians 3.16? Let the word of Christ do what? Dwell. Live. Make its home in you richly. So let's continue to look at verses 9 through 16. The overall theme of verses 9 through 16 is, is the word of God making a home in your heart. So we're looking at these six aspects. Here's number four. Fourth, a lifestyle of obedience to God's word involves starting young. Verses 9 through 11. What does Paul say in verse 9? How can a young man or a young woman keep his or her way pure? Why does Paul address young people? Because the habits and practices you start as a child and a youth will carry into your adulthood. Now, adults, I'm not going to talk to you anymore for just a few minutes. I'm going to talk to the children. Okay? Children, youth, young people. This verse is for you. You may have been tuning me out because you're thinking, this is all for my parents. One of these days when I get older, I'll deal with all this stuff. The Bible addresses you today and the habits, the practices, the things you do today as a child or youth with God's word are going to set the trajectory for the rest of your life. Because here's the issue. Satan is working overtime in this culture to distract, to distort, to do everything he can to get you out of God's word. With innocent things like video games, not all bad, Netflix, social media, apps, music, media. I'm not saying that's all bad, but I'm saying is that as a child, you are living in an uphill battle. And I'm very concerned. Now, my son's getting ready to go off to college this week. And, you know, we've, we've had to deal with this growing up. But some of you, four, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, you are growing up in a culture that you have so much access to information, so much access to sin. You've got your friends influencing you that if you don't start now as a child getting this word to live in your heart, you're going to be faced with some hard days in the future. I want to save you the heartache. If you store the word in your heart now and you live for Jesus now, you're going to be blessed. Now, I'm not saying your life's going to go perfect. But there is a promise from Scripture that if you follow Jesus and you start early, God will direct your paths and he will bless you. So how do you keep yourself pure? All of us, not just little children or young people. What does the psalmist say? Verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's storing God's word in your heart. The, the, the writer of Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 2, 10 through 12. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech. When the word of God comes into your heart and makes its home there deeply, it will protect you, children, from a lot of heartache. Believe me. Believe your parents. Believe your grandparents. Believe those that have walked ahead of you. I'm not going to... Actually, let me do this. Let me, I'm going to do a show of hands here so the, so the kids and youth can see it. How many adults here wished that 
they started at an early age making practices of godliness and putting God's word in their heart when they were young, it would have saved them a lot of heartache later on in life. Would you just raise your hand? Children, would you look across the room? It's like almost the entire room. You're not there yet. You're where God's placed you right now. You can make the choice now to hide his word into your heart. Now notice what he says in verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Don't let me wander. Now, kids, does your mind wander at times? Your mom says, go clean your room, and you're playing your video game, and you just kind of forget, and your mind wanders. Or maybe you're like going over to Pioneer Park, and you're going to go hike around the thing, and you, your mind just wanders, and you, you end up in our parking lot over here because you weren't paying attention, and you walked across Ballpark Road and almost got hit because your mind was wandering. Is that what he's talking about here? This word in the Hebrew language is not just this casual wandering. It's a rebellious, persistent wandering. It's a rebellion. It's a rebellion. It's a deliberate wandering. See, here's the issue, children. Little bitty choices you make today to compromise that you may think are innocent, no big deal. If those keep piling up, you get comfortable with sin. You're no longer under conviction of sin. You're okay with sin. And the next thing you know, it's not just a little innocent discretion. It's full-blown rebellion. You've wandered. And you, man, I started out right here. I remember one time I was at the beach in Cancun with my wife, and the undertow was really bad out there, and, and, and I just remember being taken. I was out there playing in the water. She could care less because she doesn't like getting in. The, she likes being on the beach but not in the water. You know, some women, I like being in the beach so I, or in the water. So I'm, like, swimming, and, like, next thing I know, I'm, like, probably a mile down the beach, and I get out, and I'm, like, where's my towel? Where's Dawn? Holy cow, I'm like, where's our hotel? So I'm like, I had to walk like almost a while back. I wasn't paying attention. I just wandered. I was having fun, and I wandered. And guess what? It took me way off course. That's what it's talking about here, wandering, getting way off course to where you are rebellious. So what does it mean to hide his word in your heart? Let me give you a dirty little word. Memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Let me give you some examples of famous people from history who memorized Psalm 119. Okay, Psalm 119. Look in your Bibles here. One, two, three, four, five pages. 176 verses, okay? Long. All right, William Wilberforce, the British statesman who helped end um, slavery in, in Britain, he wrote in his diary that as he was walking in Hyde Park, London, on a way to a very important meeting, to talk about the ending of slavery. In his diary, he wrote about how he recited by memory out loud Psalm 119 while he was walking through the park, and it gave him great comfort. Okay? Henry Martin was a missionary to India, and he memorized the Bible in 1804. He had a very difficult life. He died of exhaustion in 1812, but he said memorizing Psalm 119 was his greatest strength because when he got down and he didn't think he could go any further, memorizing that helped strengthen him. David Livingstone, who was a famous missionary to Africa, he won a Bible from his Sunday school teacher by reciting Psalm 119 by memory. Guess how old he was? Nine years old. Now, you may be thinking, children, that's for famous people like missionaries. Yes, I don't, 
I don't have Psalm 119 memorized. It would be impressive if you came home to me or you came up to me next week and said, Pastor Sean, I've got Psalm 119 memorized, and you recite it. It takes about an hour for you to recite it. And I'm sitting there like, whoa, that's pretty powerful. I would be very, very impressed. But let me just say this. Start small. Don't tackle a bunch of stuff, but start small. Let me just encourage you, children and maybe even adults, just memorize Psalm 1, the first psalm. Sometimes the psalms are easy to memorize because they're poetic and they've got meter and rhyme and, and they can help you. Psalm 1, start easy. Now here's a trick in memorizing. You've got to actually write the psalm out on paper. Now, I know with electronic devices and everything, there is something mind, memory, vocal, when you actually write it out, and as you're writing it out, say it out. So take your Bible or whatever, write Psalm, blessed is the man who, write it out, say it, repeat it, say it, write it out, repeat it, practice with your parents. The more that you memorize Scripture, the more it's going to be hidden in your heart. Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So children, youth, is God's word making a home in your heart where you're starting out now because the practices you make now will impact your future in a very important way. Okay, number five. A lifestyle of obedience to God's word involves talking openly about Jesus. Involves talking openly about Jesus. Look at verses 12 through 13. I, 11, I have stored up my word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. There is again that desire to be taught. And look at verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's the natural outflow? If God's word is taking root in your heart, what are you going to do? You're going to talk about him. You're going to talk about the word. You're going to talk about the gospel. You're going to talk about, the G- about Jesus. What's going to come out of your lips are going to be the things of the Lord. So ask yourself a question. If I'm not talking about Jesus, if I'm not talking about the gospel, if I'm not talking about what God's done in my life, if I'm not talking about how he's answered prayer, if, if none of the things that come out of my mouth are about Jesus, is his word in my heart? Do I talk openly about the things of the Lord? Charles Spurgeon, I love him, made up a word about John Bunyan. Okay, you guys know John Bunyan? John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Next to the Bible in the English-speaking world for the past 300 years, second most-selling book in the English language. Charles Spurgeon was so impressed with how much of the Bible that John Bunyan put in his writings, Spurgeon made up a word. Spurgeon said, if you were to take a knife and cut John Bunyan anywhere on his body, out would ooze, and he made up a word, bibline. The Bible would just ooze out of him. That's what I'm asking you. When you open your mouth, does the Bible just ooze out? Does Jesus just come flowing out, have the natural outflow of what's in your heart? Are you talking openly? about Jesus. And why are you talking openly? Because his words made a home in your heart. And from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, let's look at number six. A lifestyle of obedience to God's word enjoys, involves joyful meditation on his truth. Now, notice, this is in verses 14 through 16. In the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 15, I will meditate 
on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. Now, delight's used there twice. Let me explain delight in just a moment, but I think meditate leads to delight. Meditation leads to delight. What does it mean in verse 15 when he says, I will meditate on your precepts? Does that mean like Eastern religions where you cross your legs and you go empty your mind and go ohm and you just wait for this mystical experience? Is that what meditating means biblically? No, it's the exact opposite. Eastern meditation says empty your mind. Biblical meditation says fill your mind with scriptures. That word meditate means to groan, to sigh. Do you realize that silent reading is a modern-day convention? When you guys read silently? Back in the Hebrew times, they read, they read everything out loud. They read out loud so they could hear it. It could be vocalized. They could internalize it. And that's what the word meditate means. It just means to keep, to keep on talking about it, to focus on it. Let me talk about meditation for a moment. You know, we've had a rain here a couple of days, and one of the things that we don't want here for farmers and ranchers, we don't want hail. Anybody want hail? And we don't want just a quick thunderstorm that kind of slides things, you know, just comes and goes. What do we really want here? A long, thick, wet, soaking rain that does what? Permeates the soil. That's what it means to meditate with God's word. It permeates you. Any of you guys ever marinated chicken or beef? Put beef in a marinade like fajitas? If you want really good fajitas, what do you do? You let your chicken or your beef marinate for a pretty long time so that when it gets on the grill, it's soaked up the marinade. That's, that's what it means to meditate. You've soaked up the scripture. Charles Spurgeon, again, said something really weird. He says he likes to take a bath with the Bible. He says, before I get up to preach, I like to soak in the Bible so it gets deep into me so that I've, I've truly been washed in, in the word. Now, the question I have for you is, when's the last time you took a bath with the Bible? Now, not literally. What happens when you soak in a bath for a really long time? What happens? You get all pruney and all what? Funky? Weird? It's because the water's done what? It's soaked inside you. Meditating on scripture is like marinating. It's like taking a bath. It's, it's focusing your mind so much on the scriptures that it gets deep in within you. You not just memorize it, but you meditate on it. Now, this is not prescribed in the Bible, but I found journaling to be a very helpful practice. You know, you get a moleskin journal or whatever type of journal you get, even if it's a notebook, and you've got your open Bible, you've got your journal, and you read... And you begin to write down thoughts, and you begin to write down insights, and you begin to write down prayers, and you begin to write down questions. And you're, you're taking a small passage of Scripture, and you're asking questions, and you're thinking about it. And then what you're thinking about and what you're writing actually influences your praying. And you begin to pray that back to the Lord. Okay, so the annual Bible reading program that we do is good because it gets you through the whole Bible. I find meditating on Scripture, it's better to take small chunks and spend a lot of time, maybe even a week, just soaking in that passage of Scripture so it gets into you. What did Mary do after she was visited by the angel in Luke 2.19? Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Okay, so here's the process. You read the Bible. You study the Bible. You ask the Holy Spirit to make the Bible a home in your heart, you begin to memorize the Bible, you meditate on the Bible, you get consumed in the Bible, and guess what the national outflow is? You delight. 
you delight in the Bible. It becomes your delight. In the sense that you want to obey Jesus, not I have to obey Jesus. There's a huge difference between I want to obey versus, man, I have to obey. If God's word has taken root in your heart, then it's a joy for you to want to live for Jesus. It's a delight, not a drudgery, not a duty. In the opening pages of his famous book, The Confessions, St. Augustine writes this. You, he's talking to God. God, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you've made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now think about that for a moment. You know your own heart. It's restless, it's wandering, it's unsettled. And the reason it is is because God made your heart for himself. And if you go look in all these other places to fill your heart with something besides God, you're always going to be restless. And Augustine says, the moment that you find your rest in Jesus, you're living for why he created you. So one of the ways you find your rest in Jesus, one of the ways you walk in step with the Spirit, one of the ways that you are led by the Spirit is you let his word dwell in you richly. You find satisfaction in his word. So the question for you this morning is, and now you've got some meat on the bones. If somebody's going to ask you, are you walking in step with the Spirit? Are you being filled with the Spirit? Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you walking by the Spirit? Are you living by the Spirit? Well, how does that answer it? You can ask it a different way. Is the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly so that you're delighting in that Word and it's leading to obedience? You see, the Word and Spirit work together to produce a fruitful Christian life. So the question is maybe the question that Augustine would ask you. Is God stirring within you this delight, this joy, this desire to read, to study, to memorize, to meditate upon God's word so that you walk in obedience and you have joy? It's not a drudgery. It's not a duty. So the final word I want to say to you is this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Lord, we're like the psalmist who looks at your word and knows that we are to obey it diligently. Lord, we know what we're supposed to do, but at times we fail, and so may we have that heart that the psalmist had of, oh, that my ways would be steadfast in seeking you and your word. So, Lord, my prayer for us as a body of believers this morning is that we would be a people marked by the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. That, Jesus, your word has made a home in our hearts. We're storing your word in our hearts. We're meditating upon your word. And we're obeying your word. And Lord, we know that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Spirit, you've got to do this work in us. So we trust in you, Spirit. We rely upon you, Holy Spirit, to produce this within us.
So would we leave this place equipped and encouraged and inspired to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that we can truly be led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. And Lord, I pray for the children and youth in our congregation, those that are even in this room this morning, that they would begin to make practices in their lives now that would set the course for their adulthood, that would have good habits And Lord, I pray for parents that are raising children, that you'd give them strength and grace and encouragement to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and in the word of the Lord. Lord, help us to be a people that not just love your word, but obey your word. And this week, would you give us opportunity to testify with our lips to your greatness because your word has taken root in our hearts. May it even start after the service is over when we encourage one another, even in the foyer, as we walk out with the words of Christ on our lips. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.